0: know we haven't uh, done an epistle for a while, and so what we hope to do is focus, uh, beginning today, uh, from Philippians, the epistle, or the letter to the Philippians. It was a uh, city called Philippi, back in Macedonia, way back then, and uh, uh, Paul is writing to them, but Not just the church in Philippi, but it's the church everywhere around the world today that Paul, that the Lord writes to us through Apostle Paul. But I want to read a bit of a background. How did this church begin? Uh, How do you account for the birth of this church? So we're going to read some of the background to it. You know, how God, by his Holy Spirit, drew people to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then our text will come from... Philippians 1 1 and 2. That'll be our focus today. But let's turn to uh, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. And we'll read verse 11 through 34. Acts 11. Sorry, Acts 16. Verse 11 to 34. Remember how the Holy Spirit said to Apostle Paul and Silas, no, 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 not to Asia, not to Bithynia. And then through a vision given by the Holy Spirit, what did Paul see? A man came to him from Macedonia, appeared to him from Macedonia and says, come here and help us. And now we see a response to that call. Verse 11. Tchile sola. 16 verse 11. Let's hear God's word. Therefore, sailing from Troas, they had crossed some water, we ran a straight course to Samothrace. The next day we came to Neapolis. From there to Philippi. There's There's the city of Philippi which is the 4 city or the leading city of the part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in the city for many days, or for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went out of the city to the riverside, where prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the women who met there. A certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come by my house and stay. So she persuaded us. Now it happened, as we went to prayer, that a certain slave girl, possessed with a spirit of divination, met us, who brought her masters much profit by fortune-telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God who proclaim us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days. Paul, greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. He came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And there they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes, commended them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. At midnight, Paul and Silas, they weren't scared. They were singing, praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake. The foundations of the prisons were shaken. Immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. The keeper of the prison, waking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposed the prisoners had fled, drew his sword, and was about to kill himself. But Paul, but Paul called a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. Immediately he and all his family were baptized. When he had brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. And then you go to verse 40. That's the end of the chapter. The last verse. So they, Paul and Silas, went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. There's the background to the church of Philippi. And it's to this church that Paul now writes a letter It's some years later, mind you. But that's our focus today is from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 only. And if you look on the back of your bulletin, you also see a bit of an outline you can follow if you like Uh, if you want to use a pen you may do that too That's up to you Uh, Philippians chapters 1 chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 this greeting is so rich and so full it's from God Paul and Timothy bond servants of Jesus Christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are on Philippi with the overseers and deacons grace to you and peace from God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you ever uh, received a letter from a close friend whom you have not heard or seen for a long time? And when you get that letter from a friend, it's so precious Uh, The the flame, you could say, the friendship just ignites all the more. The friendship that you've always had, and that closeness even becomes closer. Well, you know, the Apostle Paul and the church in Philippi had a very close relationship. Apostle Paul was a man of God. And we read about some of those who believed. They became some of the first members of the congregation in Philippi. And he writes this epistle, We'll call it a letter today. Okay, an epistle is like a letter. So what was the occasion, what caused Paul to write this letter? Well, if you look at chapter 4, verse 18, it gives you the reason or the occasion for it. The church of Philippi was a very generous, very giving, very hospitable congregation. We read about that with Lydia and the jailer, right? Right? And they decided to send Paul a gift. A gift through Epaphroditus. That's not a common name you hear too often. But Epaphroditus was also a member in that little, small, small church of Philippi. And they sent Epaphroditus, the church did, uh, with a gift to go all the way to Paul. Where was Paul? He was a long ways away from Philippi. He was in Rome. Why was he in Rome? Guess where Paul is again? He's in prison. He's in jail. For what? What what crime did he commit? He committed no crime. For For praising God. Exactly. He was teaching the people about the way of God in Christ Jesus. And that got him into trouble because they saw him messing around with their gods and their religion. And as he was proclaiming Jesus... They took him, arrested him, and they threw him into prison. As a matter of fact, you read in chapter 1 of Philippians that they put chains on his legs even just to hold them down. Just such cruelty. But you know, that friendship with the congregation, remember the jailer and Lydia? Yeah, that friendship was so close. And that love, is really the love of Christ that changed Paul originally, changed them And they were very, very close. And Paul received that gift from Epaphroditus. He was so happy. And we even come to know that Epaphroditus almost died when he was there. He got really sick for some reason. Deathly ill. And then eventually he gets better. Paul sends Epaphroditus back again to Philippi. But he says, take this letter with you. Apostle Paul wrote a letter. He said, take this letter with you. This is the letter really, to the epistle of the Philippians. Philippi, so the Philippians. Like Canada, Canadians. Philippi, the Philippians. And you, if you read through this letter, one thing that comes to the fore again and again and again, and it's a word that you read also in Acts 16, joy. When you think of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace. When the love of Christ is in our hearts, what's one of the first expressions of that love? Is joy. And you know, you, you read this letter and you read something of the, the manifestation of that joy in their hospitality. Lydia, right? Opening up her house. That's probably where they met for church. Small group of people. And the jailer, right? Inviting Apostle Paul for supper. Uh, very giving congregation, as you see, with sending Paul a gift. It's striking again and again how often that word joy is used in the book of Philippians. Joy or rejoice, probably at least 10 times. Paul was joyful, even though he was in prison, but so were the Philippians. And, you know, it's interesting that they were suffering, they were suffering discrimination because of their faith in Jesus Christ, but they weren't resenting it it manifests itself in joy because they knew who they belonged to. They belonged to the conqueror, the one who arose from the dead, who, who rose from the dead, proving that he forgives the sins of all who believe on him. And therefore, that joy in Christ, in that congregation. At one point, Paul, in the last chapter, he, 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 runs, he overruns himself with his emotions. He says, my beloved and long for brothers, my joy, my crown. Boy, that kind of love is so lacking in our world today, isn't it? But it is found in Christ. It's found in his body, isn't it? And you read the birth of this church in Acts 16 through the ministry of Paul and Silas. It's not just Paul and Silas there. Timothy was there with them. And who was the one that's recording the book of Acts? Luke 2. Luke as well was with them. So there's was four. And you recall how the Holy Spirit led them by a vision to go to Macedonia. And what's one of the first places where God led them to? Philippi. You know, it's God who decides when, where, and to whom the gospel goes. We don't choose that. God does. God has his people in all cities and all places of the world. And he also had his people in Philippi. And one of the first believers, can you believe this? One of the first believers in Philippi was a woman, an entrepreneur, right? She was a trader of purple. And now she's dressed with something far greater than purple. She's dressed in the righteous robes of Christ. Right? Being converted, believing in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there she is baptized. Not only she, but her whole household, we read. Uh, there are probably children in there. Probably a lot of people. Perhaps a lot of people. And added to that, through, through the events in God's providential hand and his sovereignty, he caused it that Paul and Silas would be beaten, but beaten for a good purpose, because he, they had to end up in prison. Why did they have to end up in prison? Because God had set his choice on this Philippian jailer who also didn't know Christ. And God, by his sovereign hand, shook up that prison with an earthquake and shook this man's heart to pieces, right? And what happened to this man? The Lord brought him to repentance and to faith to King Jesus, the one and only Savior. He and his household also were baptized. The jailer believed. And again, you read about his household. And so you see something of the Holy Spirit now gathering this one and that one and this family and this person, Epaphroditus. You read about Clement and Yodia and just some singles, some women, some families, all kinds of people, children, forming this tiny little congregation. And they're very hospitable. They're giving that joy out of the crucible of suffering for their faith. Brought them even closer together. And week by week, meeting where? Probably in Lydia's home. She was a rich woman, a wealthy woman. She probably had a home in Thyatira and, and doing business in Philippi. She probably had a home there too. Loved by Paul. But you know what? More than loved by the Apostle Paul, loved by Christ. Loved by God in Christ. And so what we see in verses 1 and 2, God here addresses the saints with his greeting. Uh, it's something you mean, to, to be greeted by a queen or a king, but something else, to be greeted by God himself. A Philippian jailer being greeted by God, the one who beat them. And Lydia who didn't know God at one time. Greeted by God. And how does he greet them? Through his servants, we see in verse 1, Paul and Timothy. And who gets greeted? The saints do. We're going to find out who the saints are. And with a declaration of his grace and peace upon them. Those three things we want to see briefly this morning. Now you notice that normally when we write letters, we probably don't necessarily write them by hand anymore, probably more on computer Uh What do we do? We usually sign off at the end. Yours truly, Bob. Okay? Or sincerely, Joan. Okay? It was a custom in Paul's day, however, to have it at the beginning of the letter. So it's from, at the very top, right? Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. So it's from them. That's the very first line in the letter. That's how it was in those days. That's how letters were often written in the school's in the political realm, and so he was adopting the same kind of method. Paul and Timothy, servants of Jesus Christ. Though Paul writes the letter, it's interesting he includes Timothy in it. Why Timothy? Because don't forget, when the Holy Spirit gave birth to the church, who was there with Paul? Timothy. He was one of the witnesses. He was one of the men that God used to to bring people to faith in Jesus Christ. And Not only that, but Paul says a little bit later in Philippians that he's going to send Timothy back to them because of his very close relationship with the congregation. So Timothy's going to stand behind this letter. He's going to stand with Paul, that what's written in there, he's going to stand with them on that. Servants of Jesus Christ, that's who they are. Now, they don't write this letter on their own authority. When we write a letter, we just write what we want. Well, they were writing what they wanted, too. But the point here is, Jesus Christ comes to this congregation, also to us, with this letter. It's Christ who causes Paul to write these words, because those are the very words that he wants his church to hear. Not just in Philippi but we know for all the churches today because God caused it to be written in the Bible, to be recorded for us in the Bible, right? The Bible says all Scripture, all the Bible is breathed out by God. God used prophets. God used men, right, to have his word written. So it's not their own words that's coming to the church, but his words, God's words, His message. And that's why Paul and Timothy address themselves as, not as lords, they're not lords of the congregation, but servants of whom? Servants of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Servants. They say what he says. They may not say less than what he says. They may not say more than what he says. Christ's authority Christ authorizes his message through them. You know, it's interesting, that same word. This this also comes from the Old Testament as well. You see, so much in the New Testament is in the Old Testament that helps us understand why the word servant is used. Because in the Old Testament, what were prophets called? Servants of the Lord. I'll give you a few examples. Exodus 14. The people feared the Lord and his servant, Moses. Servant there simply means one in his service, right? A servant is one who serves the Lord, who functions in his service. Prophet Jeremiah speaks of all the prophets of the Old Testament. He says, and the Lord sent to you, he says to his people, to the congregation of Israel, the Lord sent to you all his servants, the prophets. They rose up early. He sent them. And then he says, but you have not listened to nor inclined your ear to hear them. Even Daniel, chapter 9, he says in his prayer, neither have we heeded your prophets, sorry, neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name. So, servant is a very rich term. It's a dignified term. This is not just a servant of the king on earth, but this is a servant of the Most High God the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a dignified term, and he's there on behalf of Christ to represent Christ, to bring his message, his, you could say, his letter of love to the congregation. As servants of Jesus Christ, Paul and Timothy, yes, they're writing his words. They're accredited messengers of Jesus Christ. And that's why when you hear pastors today You know, be really, really careful that when they say something, that it's according to what the Bible says, what the text says, but the text in the context of the whole Bible. Very, very, very important. Because they're also called the servants of the Lord. By hearing the letter, right? By hearing the word, we hear Christ. It's Christ coming to us through this letter. Servants then is a title of Dignity. Servants of Jesus Christ. The name above all names. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to read about that later. Paul is in prison. Under the authority of the emperor of Rome. But he's a servant of Jesus Christ. He's chained. But the word of Christ is not chained. And it, it, it just continues its free course throughout the world. The crucified Jesus and yet subsequently glorified Christ, comes to us also with this very letter. So, who's it addressed to? It's from Apostle Paul. Sorry, it's from Timothy and, and Paul. And it's addressed to all the saints. See, see the first second part of verse 1? To all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the overseers and deacons. To all the saints... All the saints. Whom are Paul and Timothy addressing? The saints, are they sort of the spiritual elite? That kind of special class in the congregation of Philippi? Uh, Do we say that there's a, we kind of segregate, that there's some sort of super spiritual people in the congregation? Is that what we mean by saints here? No. No. Paul is not celebrating saints in stained glass windows. Okay, we have to be really clear about that. He's addressing believers. Believers. How many believers? All believers. See what it says here? All the saints. That means people, believers who are living, walking, talking, eating, having to drink something, just ordinary. Plain believers in Christ Jesus, but believers who've been changed by life-changing message of Jesus Christ to all the saints. All believers in Christ Jesus are saints. Even those two women, you read a little later in Philippians chapter 4, they couldn't get along. Remember? Yodia and Syntyche, two strange names. They couldn't get along. They weren't in agreement. But even they are saints. Paul addresses them as saints as well. This word saint is applied to all New Testament Christians and to all Christians today. We're talking about Christians who've been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Notice how Paul, if you read on in chapter 1, he prays for all, he loves all, he yearns for all. He says, greet every saint in Jesus Christ. That's how he closes this epistle. No, not saints in themselves. Who are they saints in? Because of whom? Because of Christ. Saints in Jesus Christ. What are saints then? Saints are set apart. God's set apart people. If we can can remember that. Saints are God's set apart people. A saint is one whom God calls, in his grace, sets apart in Christ to serve and to glorify him. So yeah, it includes men, women, children. Right? Are you a saint? It's a special term. It's a special term of endearment. You know what it does? It marks a change of status. We People love status today. And people look for status in all the things of the world. But you know there's no greater status than being called a saint in Jesus Christ. It marks a change of status. Once we were condemned sinners, right, outside of Christ, the status is this, condemned sinners. But in Christ... What happens? Forgiven and declared righteous by God through faith in Jesus Christ. That change is not in ourselves. That that change in status doesn't come in ourselves. It comes strictly by God declaring us right with himself through faith in Jesus Christ. You know, the Bible says, who does God justify? He doesn't justify good people. There's nobody good. He doesn't justify nice people. No. He justifies, Romans 4 verse 5 says, He justifies bad people. He justifies the ungodly. That's the term that he uses there. God justifies the ungodly. Isn't that give you hope? (laughs) Because you look at your life, and you look at your record, and you just see everyone has their own record, and to think that God does that. He's the one who justifies. Now, we have to go to Christ for that. We have to believe in him for that. But you'll believe in Christ. He declares us righteous. He clothes us in the robes of, of Christ, belonging to Christ. Saints, beloved saints, every believer, saint in Jesus Christ, this is your new identity. Never mind the statuses in the world. That's nothing compared to this. If you have this status, it's everything. It's a forever status. You're never demoted from it. In Christ, this is your new identity, regardless of your record, regardless of all the sinful background, and how, regardless how many times a person may have been in prison. If he believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, He's declared righteous. He's declared a saint. You know, that also has its roots in the Old Testament. Again, you can never understand the New Testament unless you know the Old. Old Testament, New Testament is one scripture. God saw his people as saints. Look at Exodus 19, verse 6. He called them. He chose them. And then he said to the congregation of Israel, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests a holy nation. Among all the world, God set them apart to be His own chosen beloved, to serve Him, to glorify Him. You're my friend, says God. I bought you because of my love for you, not because you deserved it, but in my grace I chose you. Deuteronomy 7, verse 6, another verse. For you are a holy people, He says, to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. It's applied to Christians in the New Testament today. The saints in Christ Jesus today is the Israel of the New Testament. Right? It's the Israel of today, a set-apart people. 1 Peter 2, verse 9, quotes the same words from Exodus 19. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own people, for a purpose, that you may proclaim the praises of him who brought you out of darkness and brought you into his marvelous light. You know, something else here. Christians are a rare group. The only people who live in two places at once, the only people who live in two places at once are Christians. Nobody else in the world. You look very carefully at verse 1. What's to say there? You read the word in twice. Where are they located? They're located in Christ Jesus and they're located in Philippi or in our case, located in East Brampton. In Christ, first location? Second location? In East Brampton. Two places at once. Having a dual citizenship, if you want to put it that way. On the one hand, in Christ Jesus, what's Paul saying here? Well, by faith, he's saying to the believers who came to know God in Christ, he says, by faith, you are united to Christ. You belong to him. And that relationship is so much deeper because it's forever. It's permanent. Death cannot even break that. We go to the grave, but that life, that relationship, continues in an even more glorious way. To all who believe in Him, in Christ, that bond can never be broken. That relationship can never be broken. Then Jesus say, "I will never leave you. I will never forsake you." Or Paul say in Romans eight, "No one can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing can. No one can." That's the one side, and yet the saints, Paul and Tom, Timothy are addressing here. They also are everyday, ordinary believers living, working, playing in the playgrounds of Philippi with their children, maybe going down the slides or maybe going in the pools. They live in the city of Philippi. They're there just mixing and they're among the people of Philippi. What's Philippi? Well, every city has its own story, doesn't it? Its own history. East Brampton has its own history, its own story. But so does Philippi. Just a little bit about Philippi. By the way, Philippi was named after whom? Alexander the Great's father. Philip II. So again, a very, very prestigious uh, origin. Right? The father of Alexander the Great, the one who conquered the world back then, known as Greece. But some hundred years later, a few hundred years later, and now Philippi is Roman to the core, right? It's part of the Roman Empire. It's, it's, it, you could say it's, it's, it's Rome itself in a lot of ways. It's so Roman, and it was also a geographical center of commerce. They had that main highway connecting the east to the west, from Tyre to Tyre or from Asia to um, to Europe, and that road went right through Philippi, called the Via Ignatia. That was the name of the road. Think of Lydia. Where did she come from? She came from Asia. (laughs) Took that road and went to Philippi to do her trading. Something else. They worshipped. In addition to other gods, they also worshipped the emperor. They paid respect, more than respect, they worshipped the emperor of Rome. As a matter of fact, the emperor wanted to be known as Lord and Savior. So they wanted all the citizens to have their ultimate allegiance to the emperor. So you can imagine, for these Christians, these new believers in Philippi, in Christ, in Philippi, but they must have experienced some tensions, because that's not one they, they can give allegiance to, ultimately. They can't worship the emperor. Who must they worship? the one who saved them, the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, more importantly, Philippi, like East Brampton, is a strategic location for the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of salvation. And what does that good news declare? It declares that that Christ is the only Savior and the only sovereign Lord And that's why, because he's the king, he died again, he rose again to show the truth of this. And that's why he calls all people, all men, all women, all children, to repentance and faith. And he promises life to all who believe on him. But he warns of terrible judgment on all those who do not believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the truth. And that's the truth that makes the people we live among, it makes, there's that feeling of uneasiness, isn't there? That tension? The believers in Philippi must have felt that. You think of East Brampton, where we're located, as saints in Jesus Christ. Who are we? We are a visible minority. we Please don't understand, I, by minorities, I'm not going to not talk about different colors. I'm talking about believers. Believers who come from all different backgrounds, all different nations, all different colors. We are a visible minority in this section of the city, aren't we? A visible minority. What do we mean by visible? A small church, yet yeah, called to be a light in the darkness, bringing a gospel which does what? which brings life to the dead, which makes the blind to see, the deaf to hear, that's the gospel. You know, God has us here for a purpose. We should never underestimate it. We're not just here by chance or because we chose to be. Christ stationed us in this place for the time being. He's a sovereign one. He decides who, when, and where gets the gospel and in his grace and his sovereignty he's stationed this church here and you know you look at East Brampton Philippi has its own history East Brampton has its own little story too doesn't it unique challenges opportunities we get to know the city a little bit we live in this part of the city or surrounding it and Yeah, recently settled, you could say. But also we know that people are afraid. There's so much fear. There's so much superstition. There's so many human cries of need and lostness. People looking, but not finding. And God has placed us here at such a time does this? Do we believe that? We should believe that. Everything's by His sovereign hand. It's just not, well, by chance we found this. No. God directs. He ordains. Because it's about the gospel. It's about people getting life. Not just life insurance, but life. Forever life. Life from the dead. Forgiveness of sins. What more important thing could behead oh a visible minority we are aren't we, but you know what there's also something in our relationship with the society around us it's also a very unique relationship bringing its own tensions, you're different yes, think back to Acts 16 right? these masters, they were cruel they were brutal, they owned a slave girl making money off of her exploiting her treating her as a slave. And what does the Apostle Paul do? He delivers this little girl from that way, delivers her from the evil spirit. And notice the response. The owners are angry because they lost business on her. And yet, the Lord delivered her to the message of the Apostle Paul from her fears, from her slavery, and brought her into the light and the freedom and the joy of the gospel. She probably was a member of the Philippian church too. The one who was formerly possessed by an evil spirit. Remember how, the, remember how the, the businessmen, how these masters of the woman complained? Oh, they said, These men, they teach customs which are not lawful for us, for us to receive or observe. They noticed there was something very different about the life changing gospel of Christ in believers. You know, even in Philippi, you can be sure that one who came to faith in Christ had to remove the shrine of the local God from his shop. It was time to remove the pictures. It was time to remove the shrines from his shop. And the society would look and say, What? You deserted our gods? We're not supporting you anymore. Well, where would they get support from? The church. Another one might say, I have a business, but my neighbors have boycotted my business because I no longer cater to their gods. I, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And others perhaps were shunned. And no doubt, this was a part of the suffering Paul alludes to later in his letter. Right, He encourages the believers, You stand fast with one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. He said, you stand together. You are saints. Remember that. You might, be, you might be seen as garbage from those around you, but you are saints. Saints in Jesus Christ. Paul adds with the elders and the deacons. You know, your elders and deacons here exist for your benefit. For our benefit. For the benefit of the saints. Paul mentions them last here. (laughs) Right? The saints. And he says, oh by the way, with the elders and the deacons, with the overseers and the deacons, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, as is localized in Brampton, with the elders and deacons, you're different. You're in Christ. And yet, you live in this community. Love people. Let's love one another, but let's love the community with the love of Christ. Love them. Love one another in our needs. Also in their needs. It's a letter for you. This letter to the Philippians. is for you from Jesus. And hear God's rich, full greeting. Through his servants. To all the saints. Finally, and briefly, with a declaration of grace and peace. What does Paul say? Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And you'll notice that almost every New Testament epistle begins with words like this or a form of it. Paul begins with a greeting. This is, the, by the way this is, the way, this is the greeting that's pronounced at the beginning of every public worship service. Why? Because it's official. This letter is official. Worship service itself is official. It's public. It's God pronouncing His grace and peace upon the saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Where does it come from, this greeting? It's as if God were present in our midst. With his hand, that's what we raise the hand. Grace, peace. It's his greeting to the church. Please don't see it as a cordial wish. It's not a cordial wish, which comes from a pastor who prays that whatever is good, including grace and peace, may come your way. No, this greeting is a declaration. It's a pronouncement of God that he dwells, he lives in the midst of the congregation by his Holy Spirit in order to bless you with his grace and with his peace. This is real. It's not just a way of saying something. It's God really by his Spirit blessing us with his grace and peace. I that's why it's so important to be together. We don't want to miss that, do we? He comes to bless us with his grace and peace. He comes to dwell among us through his grace alone. Not by our own works, not by our merits, not by our worthiness. But we look to him with heads up, eagerly expecting, Lord, grace, we need your grace. We don't deserve it. And he says, receive it. It's free. The cost of Christ's blood on the cross. When grace is received, what do we receive? Peace. Peace is the result. If grace is the fountain, what streams from the fountain? Peace. You know that word shalom. I think sometimes we hear the word salam. Very special rich word. It means wholeness, prosperity, welfare. Don't think in terms physical, first of all, but in terms of the abundant spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Jesus speaks those very words in John. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. It's the kind of peace that the world doesn't have. It's the kind of peace that the world cannot give. Jesus gives. And so with a special greeting, he addresses the saints. He addresses us, so rich, so full. And now comes the letter. Are we ready to listen? Are we listening? Ready to listen to God's message to us? May this letter of Christ even further ignite the flame of our friendship with Christ. But also may it further ignite the joy among us. And may it further ignite a loving witness to the community around us. Amen.